This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the ricochet speed of a Jazz Chisholm foul ball bouncing off an empty seat in Lone Depot Park, or the average attendance for a weekday afternoon game at Camden Yards, this is not the place. But if you enjoy contemplating the existential question of, if no one goes to a baseball game, does Tampa Bay still win? Welcome, we're your hosts. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie Micucci. And today we are keeping the seats warm in this big old empty stadium until the season starts. Welcome to Bad Hops. Jackie, I have a hot take. I love empty stadiums. Yes, I know that about you. You you don't like crowds and you don't like to sit in full stadiums. I personally miss full stadiums. Full disclosure, going from full stadiums at Yankee Stadium and then moving to Seattle and basically having the place to myself, it's, it can be a little dull at times. I mean, I do... I do sometimes enjoy having like the empty space, being able to put my feet up, not have to wait in line forever for a beer or the bathroom. But I do miss, you know, some of the the hijinks that go on in the stadiums when they're full, when people are all excited and just a collective crowd holding up signs, making silly noises. Yeah, I, I, I do miss it. But But tell me about your love of empty stadiums. I can't deny all of what you're saying isn't true, but if I'm going to spend $14 on a beer, I want it right now. <laughs> I don't want to wait in line. I don't want to like have to sift through like horde of humanity just to, you know, get my garlic fries. And I also like the fact that one of the best times I ever had at what was then Safeco Field is I went to a game with our friend Shane and we got there very, very late for a 7.05 game. We got there at seven and we found a parking space on the street a block away from the stadium so it was free and we just sort of waltzed in we did not miss a pitch because that low point in the mariners history i think there were maybe ten thousand people tops and of course that's the irony is today an empty stadium is about ten thousand people and of course then thirty thousand plus empty seats there are very few cases where you have fewer than five figures in a stadium but luckily we're here to talk about them tonight Yes, we are. I mean, there's nothing like the beginning of the season, especially back in the Northeast when it's still cold or could be snowing. And you've got the diehards in the stands and the empty stadium all bundled up looking miserable. And I will watch them from the warmth and comfort of my home thinking, gosh, how are they sitting there? Because you could just feel the cold air swirling around because I've been there. I've been there. But now I'm just, I don't know, not rugged enough to sit out in the cold for a baseball game. That's not what it's about for me. I want to be in the heat. Yeah, I've been to I've been to a total of one baseball game where it snowed and it was opening day at Wrigley Field in the mid 90s. Luckily, in this case, it was a full house. And so I didn't freeze to death from exposure. I was surrounded sort of like the guys in the outback that sleep with their dogs next to them oh, makes sense. To, to keep from freezing to death overnight. So thank you to all of the drunk people of Chicagoland for keeping me alive on that very, very cold opening day. Jackie, you and I went to an, a game that was technically at an empty stadium. We because did. We saw the Florida Marlins host the Seattle Mariners. Yet on that the day of that game, Dolphin Stadium or Hard Rock Stadium, I can't remember what exactly it was called in 2011. It, it was absolutely empty except for the road crew from our good friends, U2. <laughs> That's right. U2 was playing a series of concert dates in Miami. They took over the baseball stadium and then apparently needed two weeks to get the whole thing set up. And so it screwed up the whole baseball schedule. 
the Marlins ended up being the home team, but they played the game in Seattle. So their home stadium was empty. And we ended up getting the best seats that I've ever had at a baseball game because we were in the, I think the fifth or sixth row right behind home plate. Oh yeah, we were we were really close. We could have, we could have touched them. We were just shy of being Diamond Club. And we owe that all to Bono. I really hate owing that guy a favor. I still want to understand why it took so long to break down from the concert. I mean, did they did they construct something that they had to then rip apart or did something happen to the field? But I, I just don't understand why. But because of that, we got to see something pretty cool, right, Mark? Yes, I, I think it was the only time in Seattle baseball history where we, or at least Mariners history, that we saw a Mariners pitcher bat at home. And it was none other than our boy, King Felix. It was King Felix. It was King, the, it was King Felix, yeah. Who also has a grand slam in his back pocket against the Mets, I believe. He does. Him and a couple of other <laughs> pitchers. That was pretty cool to see uh, Felix batting because that's not something we would have seen in person, especially not in Seattle. I think, you know, that was kind of neat. I don't recall if he got a hit or not, but they kept talking about the fact that he had hit a, a grand slam. So once you're a pitcher that hits a grand slam, you know, the expectations now are just way out of the roof. <laughs> you're marked for life. <laughs> you're marked for life. I don't think he performed with any great aplomb at that game because we would probably still be talking about it. Remember yeah. that thing that we thought we'd never see happen and then it happened. Oh my it, God, it happened. It totally happened. And now it's more of like, remember that thing we thought would never happen? Well, it didn't ever technically really happen. We just saw a guy <laughs> swing and miss probably in, in three on three pitches. Probably. Yeah. I don't know if he put down any bunts or what, or uh, I don't think he was swinging. He was definitely swinging, but most of the time, I mean, this is a conversation for a whole other podcast, but most of the time when pitchers come up to bat, it, I mean, it's time to like either the innings ending and I'm going to get up and use the bathroom or grab a snack because it's not, it's not happening. Uh, you must eat really fast because usually when I see a National League pitcher swinging, it's that at bat is over in about 20 seconds. Usually. I mean, there are some yeah. exceptions to the rule, but that's, that's a discussion for another time. The old DHs. You like empty stadiums for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I can concur with you with the not having to deal with other people and not having to wait in line. I do kind of enjoy empty stadiums for a different reason. And usually it happens when there's a rain delay and now it's midnight on the East Coast and there are a couple of people left in the stands. I love it because you can sometimes hear the ridiculous things that People are yelling from the stands. The guys and, and women in the stands, they know they can be heard. They know they're being heard on the broadcast. So they continue to do it. And I love when they just they distract the guys in the booth and they're doing whatever, especially if a, a naughty word gets in. I really enjoy that if a naughty word gets in. There's nothing you can do. It's a live broadcast. Can't believe well, it. it. Sorry. The, the sort of person that stays through a rain delay and stays at a, a in a stadium until midnight and beer sales have been suspended and you've got to be a diehard and you've got to have an agenda. And I think your agenda is to essentially swear on AM radio. Yes. To be heard and to swear on AM radio. On that note, I came across something I had not been aware of, and maybe because I don't watch a lot of St. Louis Cardinals games. But, you know, last year when the season started, some stadiums were were pretty empty because of COVID, and they were just starting to let people in, and they were only letting in, you know, whatever the set number was, depending on what city you were in. But apparently in St. Louis, 
there was a problem that started to annoy a lot of the broadcasters. And I guess this has been going on for a while, for a few years in St. Louis, but because of the empty stadium, this could be heard on the radio, it could be heard on TV. Cardinals fans, the alleged best fans in baseball, as we have been told over and oh, over. Alleged, I think, it's, uh, I think it's certified best fans certified. in baseball. That's right. They were shrieking and yelling in the sense they kept going, whoa, 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 over and over again. And if you, you can find videos of this, it's an homage to retired pro wrestler Ric Flair. Or, do you know who Ric Flair is? I had to look him up. Yes, a contemporary of Randy Macho Man Savage, if memory serves. He, and he looks like he is one. So this was his signature cry. And it was just kind of a quick, he would chat, he would talk to the, to the audience. And then he'd go, whoa, very quick. You know, then it was over. Kind of like a grandma at a Chippendales show? A little bit. A little <laughs> bit like that. It was like a single woo. It wasn't like long, wasn't drawn out. But what was happening with the Cardinals fans, they were just doing it throughout the game. So it was just like, whoa, 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 over and over again. Almost like they were, you know, almost sound like a dog. Yeah. And the broadcasters could hear them and they were trying to speak and trying to speak. And it was like they were in the background. Well, a lot of them the broadcasters in St. Louis and the local media, they took to Twitter to start trying to shame these people. So longtime local broadcaster, Bob Ramsey, he tweeted, the Cardinals have officially lost BFIB, best fans in baseball. <laughs> I didn't know now there was an that, acronym. Yep, there is apparently an acronym, BFIB. Now that I have your attention until the woos stop, it's just another fan base. Hey, do what you want. You pay for the ticket, but there are consequences. Being stripped of BFIB. I don't know what Bob Ramsey sounds like, but I appreciate it. That was a really good simulation of a old school broadcaster, sort of the aggrieved, you're affecting the professionality of my job. How dare you, BFIB, ex-BFIB. There is a, also a, another sportscaster in St. Louis, Charlie Marlowe of KTVI and KFNS. He posted a poll on Twitter in which he wanted to know which is worse. No fans from last year, meaning 2020, or wooing fans this year, 2021. The results of this very scientific survey were that 67% of the 1,119 respondents preferred empty stadiums to the wooers. Wow. Yeah. He also, another sportscaster had tweeted about this prior to the 2021 season because this had been going on. So this had been like an E to fix that just came to a culmination last year because you could really hear it. So this guy, Doug Vaughn of KMOV, he tweeted, if the Masters can ban patrons who yell dilly dilly, maybe the Cardinals can eject fans who yell woo. I didn't realize that there were bad actors at the Masters now. Apparently, there are people who yell dilly dilly. I want to see that, though. I mean, I think that'll make golf somewhat more somewhat more palatable. I, I mean, I, I want to see it once, and then I want those people to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and just to put a, a neat bow on this, uh, Jim Hayes, a reporter and anchor for the Cardinals' official broadcast, which I think is Bally Sports, right? I think Bally Sports is everybody these days. Oh, especially in the Midwest, yeah. Yeah, he um, he started a campaign called Skew the Woo. 
Skew the woo. Skew the woo. And he tweeted, upon the Cardinals' return from their current road trip, I will be patrolling Bush Stadium in a T-shirt that reads, Skew the woo, in an effort to quell the recent outbreak of behavior detrimental to the common good. Wow. Good luck. (laughs) Skew the woo. Can we do can we do a fundraiser right here on the old Bad Hops podcast? Can sure. we after that campaign is done, can we send him to a Philadelphia Flyers game? Tell him to go through the crowd with a t-shirt that says settle down. <laughs> and just and and then see how many batteries get thrown at him. I'd like him to do that. I'd like him to do skew the woo. I mean, is there anything more pompous than that? <laughs> skew the woo. That is exactly the the highbrow solution that will never ever work. Much like the the stadiums that kind of did a half hearted attempt to ban the wave. Mm-hmm. If you tell somebody not to do the wave, I think that's ensured that the wave is forever. And I'm going to guess that the woo is forever. But, I think it is. But it, as somebody that's really not fond of the Cardinals. I think this is great because if this officially means that they forfeited the best fans in baseball title. BFIB. Yeah. Sign me up. I want to be one of the best fans in baseball and it won't happen in St. Louis. You know, it's funny when I first started thinking about the idea for talking about empty stadiums, we were really, I think still kind of dealing with the shell shock of having every stadium empty mm-hmm. in, in 2020 except for all those cardboard cutouts, which were kind of cute. And then they kind of, I don't know, they, they wore out their welcome. Pretty I fast. feel like some teams did a great job with them, did a nice job. And some just felt like, like I, you know, took an exacto knife and kind of traced them off on, from cardboard. Like there was like no effort. The ones that were a little bit more thoughtful about it, you know, fine. It was fine for that moment in time. I like the people that made a shocked face while holding their dog up to the camera that sort of looked like they were falling backwards at the same time. There's more than one of those out there. If you go back and watch games from 2020, each stadium seemed to have at least one sort of shocked looking Jim J. Bullock kind of (laughs) falling like, oh, no, kind of look. So hats off to whatever that demographic is. The falling backwards surprise dog owner. In true Bad Hops form, I started thinking about the empty stadiums of 2020, and I went back a little bit. And I have a little story to tell you about the fall of Troy. Well, is this going back from 2020 to the 1820s? Is that that's what happened? Is it happening? Or- well, even a little bit farther back than that, because I just I want to make sure I'm citing my sources. So I've, I've combed through a lot of stuff. Okay. Boston Globe, the Baltimore Sun, Baseball Reference, which is always a great source, Sabre which is a really great source for a lot of these weird yarns that we like to tell. But I have a special thanks to somebody that may never contribute to this podcast again, but uh, Quintus of Smyrna. Excuse me? Is that a character on Game of Thrones? (laughs) It may be. Now, Quintus of Smyrna, you know this, you're just, you're playing along with acting like you don't. Quintus wrote the original Fall of Troy in, in fourth century AD. And I went through the trouble of researching that just to be able to make this joke about the fall of Troy. So anyway, love you, Quintus. Love you, Quintus. I kid, of course. I'm not talking about the fourth century here. This is a modern podcast. We're strictly focusing on the 19th century today. I would like to take you out east to meet the Titans getting ready to battle. Are you ready? And remind me at the end of the story if this actually stays on the topic of empty stadiums. Spot me on that. Clash of the Titans. I'm ready for it. First, let's talk about the home team, the great Massachusetts team. 
from Worcester, Mass. Worcester. The Worcester Worcesters. Worcester. 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 <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say it through a Midwest frame because I have to say it like 500 more times, so it's gonna be Worcester. Okay. Yes, the Worcester Worcesters. Uh, you know what? I'm, let's just call it good. I All think right. I got I landed the best line of the whole podcast. We can we can wrap up early today. Okay, we're the, good. We're, let's go home. Oh, we are home. That's right. <laughs> the Worcester Worcesters. Oh, I'm. I don't know why I picked the things that I can't say out loud, but here we are. So the Worcesters joined the National League in 1880. Now, of course, as you obviously know, they replaced Syracuse, the great baseball town of Syracuse. It probably was. I mean, most of the East Coast was. Well, yes. So the. The, the Worcester team joined for all the right reasons, mostly to bolster National League President William Holbert's agenda of no alcohol sales and no Sunday games. Boo. Yeah, he really captured the spirit of baseball, didn't he? He'd actually kicked out one team, the Cincinnati Stars, out of the National League because they sold beer at home games. Jeez. So, yeah, William Holbert sounds like a real piece of work. Mr. Sounds like fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Fun, Mr. Probably Not Very Profitable, if you ask me. And also the whole no Sunday games. I get why some people didn't want to do it. But you know what? You could play on Sunday afternoon. You have yeah. time for Sunday school and church and then baseball. That's right. You know, I'm not saying that this was all about taking the high moral ethical road because uh, Mr. Hulbert also wanted to block out the formation of competing leagues by adding teams with any sliver of potential market-wise. <laughs> and so... That's how it came to pass that the the National League in 1880, which was comprised of, I think, six other teams, decided to add Worcester, Mass., which was the 28th largest city in the U.S. at the time, representing 58,000 citizens. Worcester wasn't exactly good ever. They had one Hall of Famer in their lineup ever, John Clarkson, a pitcher who I really couldn't find that much about, but he's he's in the Hall of Fame, so good good for him, Kelly's great great grandpa and the record showed it things were so bad in worcester actually that they created baseball's first bogo the very first double header for the price of a single game was played in worcester to get people to come to the games that's the dying art form of the twinite double header mm. although the, i think probably in a stadium with no lights would be a day day double header they also had another problem in terms of representing their city or their fan base. In the first three years of the team, they were known as the Ruby Legs, the Brown Stockings, and of course, the Worcesters. The Worcester Worcesters. I like the Ruby Legs, though. That's very, that sounds kind of regal or something. Yeah, a, a little Wizard of Oz, too. Yep. So that's the home team. So let's meet the visiting team from Troy, New York, the Troy Trojans. All right. Now, Troy was the veteran team in this face-off. They joined the league in 1879, a full year ahead of Worcester. The National League itself had only been formed in 1876, so it's not exactly like we're dealing with a ton of history. But before Troy and Worcester joined, as I mentioned, there were six teams. Detroit, but not who you think it is. Providence, Buffalo, Cleveland, also not who you think it is. The Chicago White Stockings, who, of course, you now know as... The White Sox? Or no, do they become Jackie. somebody else? I don't know. <laughs> the Chicago Cubs, duh. I'm sorry. <laughs> just because they're called the White Stockings doesn't mean that they... That they just carried on became the socks. <laughs> like they took off their sock, their stockings. And I didn't realize that. No, I see. Yes. I learned something. I did yeah. not know that. 
Well, and so then the, the other team in the league was the Boston Red Stockings, who then became the Atlanta Braves, obviously. <laughs> or the Boston Braves first. I think we got to get into this topic. Why so many teams name themselves after their socks? Uh, yeah, I always found that to be a strange and lazy way of doing things. Like, I know, I'll be the black sweatshirts. That's <laughs> it. That's what we'll call the team. What are you wearing? All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think we should look into why the color of gentlemen's stockings was so important to the game of baseball early on. Yeah, or else we just need to like start our own team called like the Tulsa Shoes. Why not? Tube yeah. socks, the Tulsa Tube socks. I like that better. I actually think you've just branded a, a double A uh, independent league team. So good for you. I'm pretty sure. And like, I mean, it writes itself with promotions. The Tube socks come up. I mean, the hats are going to be pretty sick as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm with right. you on this. This okay. is, um, I'm Let's do it. Glad, glad we're in business together so I can get the uh, 10% off of the top of, <laughs> of the, the Tulsa Tube socks. Back to Troy, New York, which, of course, is the uh, the thriving hub of something. Well, it used to actually, so I've been, I've spent time in Troy, New York. It used to be a manufacturing town, like a lot of towns in upstate New York. That's why it would have money for a baseball team. Yeah, a little money. A little money. So Troy was a little bit smaller than Worcester. It was actually the 29th largest city in America at that time. I think like three or 4,000 fewer people. But Troy was the powerhouse in this matchup. In fact. It's another thing that I learned. I'm, I, I really love these rabbit holes because I sort of sit at my desk sometimes thinking, what? <laughs> the Trojans had the player who hit the first Grand Slam home run in Major League Baseball history in 1881. It took five years after the formation of the National League to have a Grand Slam home run. Wow. Hats off to Roger Connor. Roger who, Connor. Who hit the first Grand Slam in MLB history and... Also, the first walk-off Grand Slam, same, same at bat. <laughs> and that was in 1881 okay. against none other than the Worcester Worcesters. The Worcester Worcesters. Had a little bad blood coming into the 1882 season. All right. Roger Connor broke some, some barriers, but I want to tell you about the best player on the Trojans. Smiling Tim Keefe. Was well, he a I happy guy? We'll post some pictures on, on social. and okay. uh, I. I challenge anyone out there to find a picture where you can, A, see his mouth um, or find him smiling because he basically had a stern gaze and a giant mustache, like every baseball player in 1882. I mean, honestly, I love the giant mustaches. I, I wish they would come back in baseball, but I know we had our moment for them with the bartenders. That's not, right. Not Tom Wilhelmson, though. <laughs> So Smiling Tim, or also known as Sir Timothy, oh, very regal, was the most innovative pitcher that this, this young game had seen. He had multiple throwing styles. He had sidearm uh, delivery, submarine delivery. And once it became legal in 1884, overhand pitching. Ooh. I also did not know that the way that 99% of all pitches in Major League Baseball are thrown was illegal for the first 10 years, that you couldn't actually just throw the ball like and with a release point over your head. Interesting. I did not know that either. Yeah. So fun facts galore. Smiling Tim had what was called a hop, skip, and a jump delivery, which I can only imagine what that would look like. Probably annoying as hell. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I really would love to have seen it. Yeah. 
had a wicked curve and he changed speeds uh, unlike almost every other pitcher because most guys just chuck the ball. Right. Which I, I can understand. A man of many talents, Smile and Tim also designed the funeral uniforms for one of his <laughs> next teams, the New York Giants. And wait, wait, wait. Funeral uniform. So you would wear your uniform to a funeral? Is that how that worked? Were there many players dying? Well, it wasn't as cool as that. They were all black uniforms with white letters, which actually ah, sounds kind of amazing. That uh, sounds very cool. That was in the mid-1880s. And so sadly, I, I don't know that any photographs have been found of the, the funeral uniforms, but it sounds yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. And he parlayed that savvy into starting his own sporting good company. Tim even became an umpire when his playing days were through. This is a, a lovely quote, so I want to throw this in there. I did not like umpiring. Did you ever see a man who did? Oh, I think we've seen a couple now. I think we see a few sort of power mad people, but I don't know if they mm -hmm. love umpiring or if they just love being the numero uno. Mm -hmm. The Trojans had the power, but in all honesty, both teams were flailing and failing. They were losing games and they were losing money. But as the 1882 season neared the end, these two teams faced off for one last series. All right. So it was Thursday, September 28th, 1882. It was a cold, damp day in Worcester, Mass. 50 cents will get you into the Worcester Driving Park grounds, which sounds like a sponsored ballpark name, the Worcester Driving Park grounds. Brought yeah. to you by Worcester Driving Park. <laughs> <laughs> for the second to last game of the year. Oh, this is probably important. Okay. Earlier that week, the National League team owners met. After the meeting ended and the Troy and Worcester owners departed, the other six teams held another meeting in secret to kick Worcester and Troy out of the National League. Wow, both of them, huh? Yeah, so a little mutiny on the bounty. Old man Holbert had died before the season, and of course he was the one advocating for the, the two teams to come in to not sell liquor. And the other owners decided that this was an opportunity to get rid of some dead weight and to bring in some bigger markets. As you might imagine, the secret meeting that took place a few days before the game had an impact on the team and the already meager fan base. The Worcester Evening Gazette reported that the team collected $3 at the box office for Thursday's game. You want to do a little math with me? So $3 total gate divided by 50 cents per ticket. It was 50 cents per ticket? That's kind that Th of kinda pricey. That seemed a little then. steep, but that's you know, but Worcester, I don't know, it was 28. Yeah, so they basically city. sold six tickets. They sold six tickets. So this is the lowest paid attendance in Major League Baseball history. Wow. And there have been some games played to em completely empty stadiums for public security reasons or for health reasons, but I, I think this is still the record for the lowest paid attendance. But yeah, six people. Troy won four to one. But who cares? Because they weren't even playing for pride at this point. How, how could you have any pride? I don't know. The season ended the next day, and then Worcester ended, and then Troy ended. <laughs> oh, but actually, I want to show you something. Give me one okay. second. It's right here. Just a reminder, it's an audio podcast. You got to tell us what we're looking at. I'm showing you a bobblehead I have. I don't know if you can see it because I, oh. and this is from Troy. This is Johnny Evers, and he was an old-timey Troy player. I was not at this game. My, my mother-in-law 
sent it to me as she tends to do whenever she gets a bobblehead at a baseball game. She just okay. nice. knows that I collect these things. But yeah, so I have a Troy Johnny Evers bobblehead. I don't know if they were the Trojans at this point. I'm assuming this was later on. But yeah, I've got a little, little yes, homage the, to Troy over here. The Troy Trojans disbanded almost immediately after this game. I'm wondering if that is Johnny Evers of the famed double play combination of Tinkers to Evers to Chance. Maybe. Have to look okay. it up. Have to check it out. But anyway, so, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought <laughs> random stuff in my lair here. Let's roll the credits and then we'll do a little where are they now uh, uh, slides to kind of <laughs> intersperse here. <laughs> in memoriam. Yes. At the December 1882 league meeting, the two teams were officially ousted and the replacements were announced. The New York Gothams, who then later became the, the Giants of New York and, and now San Francisco, mm. and the Philadelphia Quakers, who still survive today as the Phillies. Now, there's a happy ending to the story because both Worcester and Troy were granted honorary lifetime memberships in the National League. Aww. Which meant Absolutely nothing. Not a thing. Happily, smiling Tim Keefe went on to better things. He still sits comfortably with the 10th highest win total of of all pitchers of all time. He still has 100 more wins than Justin Verlander, the closest active player. So I think he's he's ensconced in the top 10. Mm. Smiling Tim, who'd begun to resent pitching for Troy, who kept invoking a reserve clause in their contract that forced him to accept a below market salary or to just not be able to pitch, period, Mm -hmm. ultimately found financial success with the New York Metropolitans, not to be confused with the New York York Mets. Yes, the original namesake of the Mets, though. The Metropolitans almost doubled Tim's salary, and then within a couple of years, he landed with the Gothams. Just as they changed their name to the Giants, he made even more money and, of course, designed those sick uniforms. And as sharp off the field as he was on the field, he never forgot the inequities of player contracts and helped form the Brotherhood of Professional Baseball Players, one of the first players' unions, and ultimately the Players' League, a player-owned league in 1890, which were two major efforts to fight for fairness in contracts. I pity anyone but the six people that showed up for that game because they might have seen one of the all-time greats in action, smiling Tim Keefe. And had the place themselves. So sadly, beer was not being sold, so they couldn't have easy access to it. Think of all the elbow room. All the elbow room. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they were were able to put their feet up, take their bowl ahead, (laughs) put it over their head and take a nap. Very cozy. Speaking of, again, empty stadiums prior to COVID, because we know COVID, that was not a choice. It it was a necessity that had to be done. There was actually a team that held a baseball game and on purpose did not want anybody there. They hosted something called Nobody Night. This happened back in July of 2002, when the gates of Joseph P. Riley Jr. Park, try saying that 10 times, (laughs) That's why they refer to it as the Joe. They actually padlocked the gates there. And the fans of the Charleston River Dogs had to gather outside. Now, you're going to love the symmetry of this because the Charleston River Dogs are the Class A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays or the Uh Tampa Bay Devil Rays as they were known back then. So, yes, the Tampa Rays, the team that is known for not having to try very hard to have a low attendance record, 
they decided to actually have a promotion for their AAA team where they would have the fewest amount of attendees. So basically what they did is everybody except employee scouts and the media were barred from entering the stadium. Fans gathered at a tailgate party and they had beer and they had snacks and things were discounted and people brought deck chairs and peered through the gaps in the gates to watch the, the game. They waited until the bottom of the fifth inning when it became an official game and the attendance was recorded at zero and then the gates were open. Oh, so you could get in for free. So free, quote unquote. Exactly. For free, you know, you were buying your discounted beer and snacks on the outside, peering on in on the, uh, you're looking through a, a knot hole at a game you're not supposed to go to. They actually interviewed some folks who went to the game. And one guy from Illinois, he said he had hoped to catch a game while he was on vacation. And he was not impressed. He said, I don't think this is a real good idea. I thought it was kind of silly. So he was not impressed. I guess he thought he was going to just see a minor league game while he was in Charleston. The Riverdogs didn't even win the game. They lost 4-2 to two to a team, the Columbus Red Sticks, spelled I-X-X, Red Sticks. Oh, now, can you be sure that they lost? We can be. They basically just wanted to make it an official game, bottom of the fifth, official attendance zero, and then they let everybody in. And I feel like maybe the, their major league affiliate could break that record. I think that's pretty fair. I actually have a fondness for Tampa. I, I feel like that they're they're a threat to you as a Yankees fan. So I don't I don't know what your take well, on. Well, that's well. On Tampa the thing is. is that they're they're a good team. Do I like them? No, they're part of you know they're in my team's league and whatever. But what I feel bad for, as much as I can feel bad for any professional baseball player, is that they're a good team. They play some great baseball. They've got some great players, and they still fail to really fill that stadium. And and I think some of their players during during COVID times when no one was, a, was allowed into the ballpark, they said, yeah, like, like, it doesn't doesn't affect us because it affected a lot of a lot of players. Didn't affect the Tampa Bay uh, Rays, though. Perfectly used to having that empty ballpark. No, it, it makes me nuts because they were bad for so long. And I think that was the, well, you know, they just need to put a quality product on the field and, and fans will come. They didn't just do that. They put a, a stellar team on the field and people mm. still didn't come. No. I remember seeing half the stadium empty. I think it's the average attendance is somewhere between ten and 12,000. As they got closer to one of their first playoff runs, you could still just walk in the stadium at the start of the game and just find a seat wherever you wanted. It, there just was not a fan base coming in, which the crazy thing is in South Florida or mid-Florida, be, be fair to Tampa, but... Every spring training game in the Tampa area is sold out. I guarantee that. Of course, that would be for Yankees spring training. Or, and I think there's a couple other teams nearby too. Then when the games actually count, the fans just dry up. Yeah. And I saw that Tampa's weird proposal to play half their games in Montreal just got rejected, which is too bad because I, I think people deserve to be able to go see the Rays. And I would love to see baseball back in Montreal also, but um, that's probably not the way to do it. No, so, probably not. Probably not, given their own team. If you are in the Tampa area and you're listening to this podcast, look in your pocket. If you got $20, just hold up your right hand and say, I hereby swear I will go to a Rays game this year. <laughs> you will be a hero. 
the other thing I always feel bad for teams like the Rays and the Orioles that have, well, the Orioles have a beautiful ballpark. The Trop is a atrocious monstrosity, but we won't get into that. Whenever these teams play big teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, when they play Dodgers or whoever, when you play the, those big teams, like they end up filling the ballpark with the opposing team's fans. So it becomes the whole, there's no home field advantage. Orioles have been God awful. So I understand why their fan base is not coming. Cause I, I would be annoyed too, if I was an Orioles fan, but Tampa over the past several years, I don't know, it, at least well, do you want to say a decade, maybe, maybe not so much, but still for a consistent period of time, they have put out really good, really entertaining teams as much as it pains me to say that, but they're good teams. They should be supported. I mean, they made it to the did they, they made it to the World Series not that long ago. Yeah, a couple times. Uh, well, once for sure. And now I'm 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 spacing think, off. Yeah, I don't recall now. I I can't remember now because you know I have the memory of a sieve. I would ask them. a I would ask a friend who's a Tampa fan, but I don't have that many friends. <laughs> or know that many Tampa fans. I mean, I do yeah. know I do have a friend. I would say kind of more of a a distant friend who is a Miami Marlins fan. Bless their heart. I mean, here's the thing with the Marlins, though. They have two World Series, and they killed that fan base by every time they, those two World Series were followed by complete dismantlings of the team. So I get why people are a little leery and weary of the what, what's going on in, in Miami. But yeah. you know, hopefully my boy Derek Jeter will take care of things. We'll see. Your boy Donnie Mattingly, too. That's right. I got a question for you, but I was wondering, does it even matter if you go to a game, right? Or And then the, the follow-up question to that is, what does it take to get butts and seats? But does it matter? Like, we couldn't go to a games in 2020, and it was killing us. Mm-hmm. But then we didn't exactly rush back to opening day of 2021. We went pretty early on, but what did you miss when when the stadiums were empty by mandate? As far as going to the game, what did I miss? Yeah. I, wa- I mean, I, I, as I said, it's like a couple of things. So watching, I don't mind. I mean, watching the game on TV is fine. You're comfortable. You're not, you know, you're in your own space. You're not dealing with dealing with other people in lines. I miss the energy that people bring to the stands. I miss the silliness. I miss, you know, the squabbling, the kind of, you know, verbal back and forth among the opposing teams, fans and your fans and holding up silly signs and saying silly things. So there is a certain amount of energy, especially when the game gets good. Things are tense and the bases are loaded and there are two outs and your big guy comes up to the plate. That's when the stadium becomes electric. It becomes part of the game. So yeah, I I, I definitely miss that. I do understand why it's getting harder and harder for people to go to ball games, especially if you have kids. It's very expensive. So what's going to happen where, you know, with this collective bargaining when the sides meet, right? When who gets hit with between, you know, they keep saying between the millionaires and the billionaires, right? Who pays the price? The fans. And there's going to come a point where fans are not going to be able to, to go to games. You're going to have to have more promotions. If you've got a couple of kids, that's expensive. I mean, we know how how expensive ballpark food is and, and ballpark drinks are. We're lucky enough that that we can do it. But if you're if you've got other priorities, good luck to you getting people there. We're also lucky enough to be thirty miles away from two minor league teams, and yes. so if budgets are tough, you do have an option. 
or frankly, if you're tired of the fussy formality of going into a big league park, going through all of the the hassles and dealing with the the big wave of humanity for a game that you don't really care about, mm-hmm. then you you have options. You can go sit on a cheap bleacher seat and yell at some guy you've never heard of before and will never hear of again. <laughs> Honestly, when I've gone to a game that I've had like no skin in, I went to a Tigers Reds game in Detroit once because I wanted to see the stadium. Right. I didn't care, but I was still yelling. You knew who was a bum and you knew who was good. I mean, I jumped up for a pretty cheap Carlos Guillen home run at that game. Because it was like, is it going to get over the fence? I better stand up to see. It was kind of, you know, it was exciting. It was a moment. That's the thing that you can't ever get at home. And especially if I ever watched a Tigers-Reds game at home, I guarantee I'd be doing something else at the same time. You would not be paying attention for sure. Yeah, I'd be doing the Wordle. The Wordle. (laughs) I have not gotten into Wordle. I am happy to say. For me, it's like 20 seconds of my life. And that when I'm doing poorly on it, I see that like fading out uh, personally as soon as I forget that it's there, which may be tomorrow. But now I just said Wordle, so I'm going to probably do it tonight. Wordle. I don't even <laughs> Wordle. Okay. Yeah, I'm just refusing to acknowledge that it exists right now. You know, I ignored Sudoku. I ignored words with friends. Well, look at you. you look you're, at me. Uh, just ignoring things. Top of the world, Ma. That's right. Just ignoring it all. Not to belabor the discussion of attendance in Tampa, but let's just rail on that. You know, the funny thing is I found a chart. I'll let you look at it. Our viewers at home will have to post it online. Pretty cool, huh? It is pretty cool. COVID curve or major league attendance (laughs) curve? I was going to say that. (laughs) I found a chart and I was actually hoping to see what the uh, average attendance, but I, I don't think that records were kept very well in those early 19th century days. Probably not. They were too busy counting the two bits that they got. But I was fascinated to see that this chart goes from 1950 to 2013. The average attendance at a baseball game in 1950, you want to guess how high or low it was? I don't know. 15,000? 10,000. Right. Average attendance at baseball games in 1950 was 10,000 people. You could listen to it on the radio. And if you were super lucky and super posh, you might be able to catch one or two games on the television. And then you would read about it in the newspaper, which after our exhaustive discussion of the Babe Ruth story a, a few weeks ago, you realize that most people never saw Babe Ruth play, but they read about it in the newspaper. It's amazing when you hear, and as we're, as we're recording, we're still in the middle of this lockout between one group of millionaires and another group of millionaires. That's like, well, we need to protect our financial interests and whatever. It's like, you know what? You've got so many more people going to games. You've got way more people watching and listening than you ever have before. How did they possibly survive with 10,000 people coming to to games in the 1950s? One way that they survived, and I was very excited to read this, that some stadiums would lease their major league ballparks to Negro League teams And I read about a story in 1943, Scheibe Park, which in Philadelphia, which was the home to both the Philadelphia Athletics and the Phillies, 
formerly known as the Philadelphia Quakers. I should be doing a quiz at the end to see. You should be. I mean, yeah, you should. I'll fail it. You can just say you were asleep and that's fine. I respect that. The third team to play at Scheib Park in 1943 was the Philadelphia Stars, which was a Negro League team. Bill Cash, who was the catcher for the Stars, said the only time they could play in Scheib Park was Monday night because that was the one night that there were no A's games or Phillies games. If the A's had 10,000 people come in on a Sunday, the Stars would come in on Monday night and draw 35,000. As far as I know, that was an integrated audience. In 1943, if you went to an A's game, I think it probably was white only or there would have been segregated sections. But I think for Negro League games, they didn't really care. It was just sort of like, whoever wants to come can come. I love the fact that so many people were willing and excited to go to these games. And if that was a way to get 25,000 more people into the stadium, it's like, no wonder. Even the, the worst owners that were the strongest protectors of the status quo were had to have looked at these numbers and said, we got to figure out how to how to get over this and to let everybody play and let everybody come to the games because this is a case of where money talked in the best possible way. That's my interesting little aside. That is an interesting little aside. And I'm actually not surprised that the Negro League games drew such big crowds. They were quite, I'm doing research for another podcast topic that we'll dive into. And the Negro League games were, they were a big deal. People would dress up, get really into the games. There was a lot of really good baseball that sadly will never ever have gotten to experience. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not surprised that the Negro League games were well attended. That's total time machine bucket list stuff for me. I would love to go to like a Monarchs game in Kansas City in like 1935. That'd be awesome. So if anybody out there that is a Tampa fan and a time machine inventor that has a good track record, I don't want any of these like amateurs, hook us up. We will then go back to Kansas City 1935. We'll see Satchel Page pitch. Our podcast will be historic. Cool. No pressure, but no pressure by the whatsoever. end of the, by the end of the year it would be fine. But if it's a time machine, it's tomorrow, right? Or one minute from now. I mean, do we have to worry about the butterfly effect? Uh, I won't step on any butterflies. I okay. Promise. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anything else on empty stadiums? We've sure filled up a lot of time in talking oh. about empty stadiums. No, I think it's I think it's time for us to leave the stadium, right? Yeah. The fans are heading home, the grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And I'm Mark Butler. This was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Insta and all the other social media channels. Until next time. See you later. Bye.